0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I feel like this is kind of a rough deal. We just dismiss all of the excitement and enthusiasm and youth and energy and here you go, Josh. Make something of it, right? I think I think I know I think I know what the funk is this morning. okay? Can I point this out? I think Christmas season is upon us, and we're embracing the busyness, and we're embracing the shopping on Saturdays. I went out yesterday. What a bad decision that was. Maybe Christmas parties. I've heard about some late night Christmas parties last night, and maybe you're arriving this morning It's just like, Anybody feel like that? Christmas season is upon you? Is it just me? No? Maybe a few? Okay. Last week we talked about pride. Today I want to talk about integrity. Integrity. Fun topic. C.S. Lewis described integrity as doing the right thing even when no one is looking. Oprah Winfrey said it's doing the right thing even though you know that nobody's ever going to find out that you did the right thing. Although we know that there's always somebody who knows, isn't there? Integrity. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word tome. It means completeness, integrity. It's also part of the high priest's breastplate. It was something that they were constantly reminded of. Tome, integrity. It means blameless, full. Full measure, innocent, integrity, uprightness, not being underhanded, using correct values, literally using a correct value system, using a correct measurement system. You can read stories in the Bible where they cheated people with incorrect weights and balances, right? And incorrect measurements. And they said, I gave you a cup of flour, but really it was three quarters of a cup, being underhanded. In the New Testament, I love the Greek word for sincerity. The definition is literally without wax. If you went through a marketplace during the New Testament times in the ancient city of Jerusalem and you walked through, oftentimes people would be trying to sell pottery. This is glass. did the best I could. But you'd find people trying to sell pottery, And sometimes in getting the pottery to the marketplace or in making the pottery, it was overheated or it was undercooked. Sometimes it'd be fragile and it would crack, it would break. There would be weaknesses in the pottery. So a little trick that they used, and I love this, I've never forgotten this. They would take wax and they would rub it in the cracks of the pottery so that from a distance when you looked at the pottery, it looked really good. There were no cracks, there were no weaknesses. But people got used to this trick and they realized it was happening. So what people would do is when they were looking at the pottery, they would hold it up to the light. And when you held it up to the light, you could see the light shining through the wax. And you could see the inconsistencies, you could see the impurities, you could see the weaknesses, you could see the cracks, you could see where it was fragile. You could literally see right through the clay. And that's where we get uh, the Greek term, which is translated into our English term, hypocrisy, which means with wax. Sincerity is without wax. No wax. Now, I think this is part of the reason that Jesus flipped the tables in the temple because the people were being underhanded, unjust. They were looking for their own profit, their own gain, the money changers, he called them. I think that Jesus. In the wilderness, when the devil was tempting him over and over and over, make these rocks into bread. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't crack. He didn't break. When under struggle and under heat, under the pressure and the cooking of the oven, there was no crack, no break, no weakness. He was integral. He showed integrity. We're talking about integrity this morning. Who are you when no one's watching? And if people look, if they look really closely, if they hold your life up to the light, what are they going to find? What are they going to see in your life? We're going to do things a little differently today. How does that sound? This is such a familiar story in the Bible. Even if you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, you've probably heard Of Daniel in the lion's den. This is a very familiar story. And in my immaturity and youth, I oftentimes want to find something fresh and new and exciting, but sometimes you just got to tell the story because it's a great story, don't you? So we're in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I want to point out two principles about integrity. Two principles about integrity, and I'll give you right now. In case you drift off during the message, and don't make it to the key crux of the message, I'll give it to you right now. Two points about integrity. Consistency and transparency. Consistency and transparently. You, you are what you consistently do. And then transparency, be sure your sins will find you out. Eventually people will find what you are really made of. Consistency transparency and we're going to see that in the life of Daniel particularly in Daniel chapter 6 but last week we were in Daniel chapter 4 you remember we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar king of the Babylonians the king who took captive all those Israelites from Babylon and from the Assyrians and he was pictured as this giant tree in his dream and we talked about the bigger the tree the harder they fall, and how pride always comes before the fall, and how heaven chopped down the pride of Nebuchadnezzar's tree. And for seven years, he was insane. He thought he was an animal until God miraculously restored him in his humility and repentance back to the throne and back to his former sovereign rule and reign. And then if you look at Daniel chapter 5, you see King Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. Now, Daniel was named Belteshazzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. And he became king in his father's place. He's having this drunken party with a thousand of his friends. Hopefully that's not the Christmas party that we were talking about that you were at last night. But he's having a drunken party with a thousand of his friends and he goes on for days and he has no respect for his father's authority, no respect for the honorable possessions that his father entrusted him with and God's hand shows up and God's hand writes on the wall and there are three words on the wall and King Belshazzar, he doesn't understand what the message means, so he's trying to figure it out. Nobody can figure it out until the queen, I think it's Nebuchadnezzar's wife, one of his wives, the queen, she points out there's this guy, Daniel, and he's able to interpret things that nobody else can Because an excellent spirit is found in him. We keep seeing this phrase over and over again. An excellent spirit is found in him. So they call Daniel. And Daniel basically says, look, your kingdom has been weighed. It's found wanting. And your days are numbered. And King Belshazzar promotes Daniel. Daniel's now third highest ranking official in Babylon. He's given a purple robe. He's given All this stuff, all this prestige, this promotion, and then that very night, 586 B.C., I think it is, 586 B.C., 538 B.C., sorry, I was way off, getting my numbers mixed up, I knew that was wrong, 538 B.C., King Belshazzar is murdered, and King Darius of the Medes and Persians takes over. Now, if you know history, if you study history, if you love history more than I do, because I'm not really a history buff, I don't claim to be, unless it really supports what we're talking about today, that's when I find it interesting. You'll find that the conquering of Babylon is attributed to Cyrus the Great. You can even read about it in Isaiah 41. God says and prophesies that Cyrus is going to be the one to conquer Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. Now, historically, it's attributed to Cyrus. From what I can tell and what I can understand from Bible commentators and historians, potentially Darius, king of the Medes, is Cyrus' uncle and possibly even his father-in-law. And there's a marriage pact between the Medes and the Persians. So although the Bible says it's Darius, most likely he's acting under the authority of Cyrus, who eventually took over in two years' time when Darius passed away. Make sense? All right. Daniel chapter six. You ready? All that to say, here's our story today. Verse one. We're going to read right through to the cliffhanger, and I'm going to let you sit there for a while. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, authorities over 120 different regions. Verse 2, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king must suffer, might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him, right? Are you getting the picture? No error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said, O King Darius, live forever. You can tell they're brown-nosing here. All the high officials of the kingdom, all the prefects, all the satraps, all the counselors, and all the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man For 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Doesn't it sound like Nebuchadnezzar's statue in the fiery furnace? Pay tribute to the king or else. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Why do you think he did that? Ego? Ego? Do you think there was some pride there that we talked about last week? Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. I love that. Then these men came by agreement and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and they said to the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, listen to how they, uh, they set this one up, okay? Look at how they start this. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? As if they forgot, right? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Just a little friendly reminder. Then the king commanded. Daniel was brought, cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, there it is again, deliver you. And a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose, went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, there it is again, been able to deliver you from the lions. Let's just let it sit there for a moment, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you for characters like Daniel. Thank you for the principles we can learn. God, thank you that ultimately this story points to you for your rescue mission for humanity and the theme of scripture that we see time and time again, how you save those who trust in you by faith. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Anyone like history? Okay. Anyone like archaeology? Oh, I hear some oh I do's. Okay, good. I got some pictures for you here. You know, the ancient city of Babylon was actually found and excavated. I guess I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. Way back in the early uh, 20th century is when it took place. From 1899 to 1917, Robert Caldaway led a German expedition that excavated Babylon. And in particular, the Ishtar Gate was found and was restored to its former glory. And today, you can go to Berlin, Germany... And it's sitting in the Pargamon Museum. And here's a picture of what it looks like now after they've restored it. You can go and see this. This is the original glaze on top of bricks that they've made in the same way, the same process as the original Babylonians have done. They actually made these castings of the stone, took it off, then disassembled all the brick, brought the castings to Berlin, Germany, reassembled everything in the same manner it was in ancient Babylon, and you get to see what it is today. That's actually what it would have looked like in Nebuchadnezzar's day. How cool is that? Nebuchadnezzar II, the Nebuchadnezzar we talked about last week, built the Ishtar Gate. And on the gate, he wrote different inscriptions. In fact, most of the bricks are stamped with his name and his seal. And he wrote inscriptions on them such as, whoever finds this city, please rebuild my wall because it's his legacy that he's leaving on for generations. It's almost as if he knew that he was going to be conquered and then other nations and other generations were going to see what he built. And he's requesting that it be rebuilt to show some of his glory. It's one of the original seven wonders of the ancient world, the Ishtar Gate. Now to get into the inner city of Babylon, you had to walk down this massive hallway, I guess it is. I think we have a picture of it here. It's called the King's Processional Way, and you can see the Ishtar Gate at the very end of it. And when you're walking down this gate, there's all sorts of inscriptions, there's all sorts of pictures. I think we have another picture here closer up. This is the eighth gate on the way into the city of Babylon to get to the inner city You had to go through this half-mile king's processional way. Now, did you notice what's on the wall? Lions, right? Isn't that cool? Are you getting excited? I got excited when I found this. I think we have a closer-up view on the next picture. These are called the striding lions, and there are 60 of them as you walk through the king's processional way a half mile of roadway into the inner city of Babylon. When you're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to walk past 60 of these lions along the king's processional way. And you can see these lions today. There's one in Toronto Ontario at the uh, Royal Ontario Museum. There's one in New York City. You can go look at what Nebuchadnezzar had built back in 580-whatever BC. It's rebuilt. You can go see it. It's incredible. I think we have a closer up view on the next picture. You see how the lions' mouths are open? Like they're snarling, like their teeth are out and their eyes are angry and their, their nostrils are flared. They just look angry. They're called the striding lions, almost as if to be like watching over the people who enter into the city of Babylon. And then once you get into the city, I don't know exactly where this statue would have sat, but in our next picture is like the symbol of Babylon. Can you tell what this is? It's kind of different artwork, it's made out of black basalt stone. It's a lion pounced on top of a human. And this is like the symbol of Babylon. I never knew that. Nebuchadnezzar had a big thing for lions. Lions talk about royalty, don't they? They're the king of the jungle. And then a group of lions, you call it a pride of lions, right? We talked about pride last week. The lion is a symbol of their goddess, Ishtar. Ishtar was the goddess of war, and she's pictured in her chariot with a bow being drawn by seven lions. Pretty cool, right? Lions talk about royalty. They talk about... Um, strength. and Get this, fighting a lion gave a king great prestige. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar fought a lion or not, but I wouldn't put it past him. The Lion of Babylon. This is one of the most important symbols. The statue is considered a national symbol of Iraq, modern day uh, area of Babylon. It has been used by several Iraqi institutions such as the Iraqi Football Association. You can see it on their jerseys. I never realized what a prominent symbol this is. Are you excited about this like I am? I never saw the connection before. Do you think Daniel and his three friends, I'm just picturing them. Remember they were the cream of the crop in Israel so they were selected for a special program by the king. They would have walked right down this processional way. They would have been led right into the inner city of Babylon. Do you think they ever looked at these lions as they're walking along and then saw the statue of the Lion of Babylon and thought to themselves, this might not be good? This might not end up well for us. As they walked in, they were presented with the king's meat and they had to make a decision you know, are we going to stick with our values from our homeland, from our God? Or are we going to try and avoid the lions? Man. We haven't said a whole lot about Babylon up to this point other than the fact that it was totally different from everything that they would have known back home. Totally different culture. And you can see a little bit why. Do you think you could imagine maintaining your integrity in a situation like that? You know, we talked quickly last week about the reason why we don't share our story of faith in Jesus Christ. And oftentimes it points back to pride because people aren't going to punch you. They're not going to send you to prison. They're not going to take your family away in the night. Think about a culture like this. How much more difficult would it be to maintain a semblance of your integrity? So Nebuchadnezzar's gone his son is gone. Darius of the Medes and Persians is now in control. And Daniel, as Daniel does throughout the book, he continues to rise in the ranks. He continues to come up to the top. He continues to stand out above the rest. And it's not necessarily because of his credentials. It's not necessarily because of its competency. Not necessarily because of his ability to interpret dreams. But It's pointed out time and time again because an excellent spirit is found in him. You know, Daniel's story starts before Daniel chapter 1. Because by the time we get to Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's already at the top of his class with his three friends, isn't he? And then we get to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, and they're presented with the king's meat. And it said that they resolved not to defile themselves with the food from the king. They resolved. They made the decision. Daniel's story starts long before Daniel chapter 1. Here's the point that I want to make. Consistency. Consistency. Being a person of integrity means being consistent, being disciplined, being faithful, being loyal. Daniel was consistently excellent. He was consistently at the top of his game. Hey, maybe you had a great performance once upon a time. Maybe you led somebody to the Lord once upon a time. God worked through your ministry. Maybe you read through the Bible once upon a time. One act and one performance doesn't constitute integrity of character. You can't eat an apple one day and call yourself healthy. Do you get what I'm saying? Because you are what you consistently do. The little day-to-day habits, the little things that you do on a consistent basis make you who you are. Nobody is the product of one action in their life. Everybody is the product of consistent habits on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if the gospel fits into that category because that's kind of one act that changed everything for everyone and that's where we want to land today. But you are what you consistently do. Aristotle said this, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. John Maxwell says, your success is determined by your daily agenda. Your daily agenda. Character is gauged by general tendencies. It's not on the basis of a few isolated actions. Daniel didn't make it to where he was because when things got hot and when things got hard and when he stepped into the struggle, he decided to throw up a last-ditch effort, a Hail Mary prayer, God, please save me, and it resulted in where he was today. That's not the story that we're reading at all. We see Daniel time and time again consistently practicing his spiritual disciplines, and an excellent spirit being found in him. And that's why we see him where he's at in the story today. Are you following? David Jeremiah says, Integrity is keeping my commitment, even if the circumstances when I made the commitment have changed. Daniel remained consistent through several life changes. Think about all the changes that Daniel had been through. Left his home, left his family, left his class, his career, whatever he did back home. He's in a new culture. He's served under like four different kings and leaders. Change, change, change. His name was changed. The language is changed. The culture is different. There's all kinds of different people groups there now. Change. But Daniel had resolved In Daniel 1, verse 8, not to defile himself with the king's meat. Daniel made the decision early on in his life, in his ministry, in his career, in the struggle. Early on, he made the decision this is who I'm going to be, and I'm not going to change. Now, I think about Jesus. What if Jesus' mantra was let's give this a try? Let's just see how it goes, right? Let's just feel this thing out. Let's play it by ear. You know, we'll get started if things get too tough, you know, if the boat gets too rocky, if it's, if it's too difficult, then maybe we'll reevaluate and we'll change things up. But let's, let's just give it a try. Do you think he would have ever made it through the Garden of Gethsemane when his sweat was as great drops of blood? See, Jesus' motto wasn't, let's give it a try. Jesus' motto was, I have come to seek and to save the lost. You know, you're reading through the Gospels and there comes a very specific point where Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus resolved the reason and purpose why he was on this earth, and nothing was going to change that. And I see a similar principle in Daniel. He's consistent with, Because he made the decision early on, he resolved not to destroy the integrity of his values and his moral compass. I think too many of us leave our lives to chance. Let's see what the day brings. Let's see if the schedule fills up. Let's see what the weather's like. We'll play it by ear. We leave our lives to chance, to wait to see what will happen to us. John Maxwell points out that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Things are going to change. You start playing it by ear, the tempo is going to change, the keys going to change, the lyrics are going to change. Life is going to change. Why don't we decide right now that we are going to be faithful and loyal and committed to God? And no matter what life throws at us, that's our basis, that's our foundation. We're not going to do what feels good. We're going to make the decision, we're going to make the resolve. Even after Daniel sensed the jealousy of the other leaders under him, he continued to follow his consistent daily habit. How easy would it have been to shut the windows? Right? I always wondered that as a kid. Why do you have the windows open? He goes up to his room, He opens up his windows and he prays toward Jerusalem. Well, it's because Jerusalem was where the temple would have been, but now it's burned and destroyed. And that was the symbol of God's presence. So he was facing God's presence and praying. He had his windows wide open. You know, why not in the break room just leave your eyes open and just pray silently? Right? Why not, you know, instead of bringing my big King James Bible to class. I'm just gonna bring my Little Gideon New Testament. Right? Or better yet, I'll just have it on my phone. People will think I'm texting, and you know, it won't it, it won't make up anybody upset. It won't rock the boat. It'll just. How easy would it have been? Mom and dad aren't there. Right? Daniel and his friends, they were taken into the king's program. We don't hear anything about his family. New culture opportunity to experiment, try new things, figure out who you really are. You know, it's like they're going off to college, right? And they don't have any of this structure anymore. They're just free to experiment and figure out who they are. But instead, Daniel resolves not to defile himself. How about you? How consistent are you in making decisions out of your values as based on Scripture and who God is and and what he says and what he's done? How consistent are you, whether people are watching or not? Maybe it's easier when people aren't watching. How consistent are you to live out of your value systems and to show integrity? Do you get that it's hard for me to stand up here and say this to you when I I need to be pointing the finger back at myself? Just wanted to point that out. We need to be a people like Daniel who have consistent character and we need to make the decision today. Let's move on. Darius was a wise king. He valued structure. He valued excellence and professionalism. He delegated, so he divided 120 regions, 120 authorities, one for each region and that they were to report to the three officials who were to report to the king so that the king might suffer no loss, so that he could keep control over his kingdom. Wise king. Daniel just kept ascending the ranks. He was distinguished above all. And it was because there was an excellent spirit found in him. It was pointed out by Nebuchadnezzar, it was pointed out by Belshazzar, by the queen, now it's pointed out by Darius. Cyrus is going to experience it as well. Consistently, he ascends the ranks. Daniel's character, who he truly was at his core, his integrity, living out of a deep sense of values. You know, You can squeak by on skill for a while, but eventually, people will figure out who you really are. Have you ever experienced that? I remember playing sports, and I really enjoyed sports. And uh, I moved around a little bit as a kid, so up in Ontario, I played basketball in middle school, And, and middle school doesn't mean nothing. You realize that? I was the tallest one in my class. I was this long, gangly guy, and I was decent at basketball. So I was the captain of my team in middle school. Well, then we moved to Nova Scotia. I entered high school, and let's give this basketball thing a try, right? So, Josh, are you any good? Like, have you played basketball? Oh, well, let me tell you. My grade 8 middle school basketball team, we play second in our division. I was the captain of the team. Let's give this thing a whirl. And I came to find out that there are a lot more Dutch people in this area than there that I was used to in Ontario. And the height was like above and beyond me, right? So they're, they're my good friends now, and I'm related to many of them, actually. But I, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't do anything. And you know, there were some moments in there where I thought I could pretend. You know, I thought I could get by. I thought I could just ride on the coattails of what I had accomplished before. And I came to find out that those skills will only take you so far until people realize who you truly are at your core. It always comes out, doesn't it? Being a person of integrity doesn't always make you popular. Have you found that to be true? Doesn't always make you popular. The other two high officials, of which Daniel was one, just think about the team meeting, right? Think about the environment. Think about the tension in the room. Daniel says, well, I think we should report to the king this report, and I think we should suggest this. And the other two are sitting there thinking, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, we're tracking with you, Daniel. Yeah. And then the 120 satraps the 120 regional authorities that had to report to the three high officials, you think, they just pictured Daniel, however many years ago, as a slave of the Hebrew people. This guy was a slave not so long ago. Now he's going to tell us what to do? Now the king's going to promote him? Now the king plans to set him in charge of everything? And he was a slave. He's a captive. Going to let him tell us what to do. Being somebody of integrity isn't always popular. You know, it makes me think of the Pharisees who tried to trap Jesus in what he said, right? They tried to find grounds for accusation against him. Number two, transparency. Being a person of integrity means being transparent, being honest. Being held accountable. Being worthy of trust. If you have to delete your search history on your browser before you can let somebody use your computer. If you can't let a trusted friend, a spouse, a parent browse through your phone without clearing some stuff off. If you can't speak honestly in conversation and answered the questions without having to kind of twist the truth or tell some little lies, then you've really got to question your integrity. Here's where it affects me. I like to stretch the truth, to embellish a little. The fish was this big, right? Every time you tell the story, it just gets grander, and larger, And I come by it honestly, actually. I remember my great-grandfather. His stories were incredible. He had this one story where he was swimming. He grew up in Pugwash area, and he used to work out on the water quite a bit lobster fishermen and whatnot. He had this story where he could swim under this big, uh, some sort of floating wharf. And every time he told that story, it got a little further and a little further and a little further, and I mean, when you're 99 years old, you can understand, but I thought that story was incredible, but that's where it gets me. I like to embellish. I like to stretch the truth. You know, the story's not colorful enough. We need to add in some more things, right? That's where it gets me. The officials watched Daniel. They tried to catch him. Can you imagine having over a hundred high officials and ranking officers trying to see something in you that shouldn't be there checking you out holding you under the light examining you trying to see if there's any crack or weakness or blemish that would be terrible wouldn't it how would you not crumble how would you not fall I don't think many of us are popular, if any of us, enough to have hundred people, over 100 people watching us trying to find something. So they convinced Darius to sign the decree. No prayer except to King Darius. And they knew it was the only way to catch Daniel. Because the only thing that they could find in Daniel was faithfulness to his God. How incredible. What if people searched your life? And instead of finding wax in the cracks, they found the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead of finding weaknesses and impurities, they found the strength of God because when I am weak, he is strong. And in all the hidden corners and inside, everywhere they could search in your life, all they could find was faithfulness and trust to your God. Man, I want to be a people like that. Without wax, no hypocrisy, no mask, no fake, phony, just real, authentic, faithful people who have made the decision to trust God and have allowed that to trickle into the rest of their life, all of their cracks, all of their imperfections. They found Daniel praying. Does your family ever find you praying? Do your kids ever find you praying? Do your coworkers ever catch you praying? I was walking through Halifax um, Friday night. And in one of the, I don't know what it is, I guess it was the ferry terminal. There's a little seating area up above. There are people playing games. There was one guy, he had this massive Bible out on the table, just sitting by himself, reading his Bible. Huge Bible. And my first thought was, Wow, that's odd. I even pointed out to Elsie, my wife, I was like, I think that guy's reading his Bible. Why is that the first subconscious thought? And why is that so rare to see? You know, if we were to ever start out an announcement or you were ever to read like a news blurb or it came across on social media and it said somebody was found, you would know what the rest of the article would say, right? There was an impurity. There was a blemish. There was fraud. Their character is undermined. There was unfaithfulness. Now the whole tower is crumbling down. But instead, somebody was found being faithful. And I want to be a people who are found to be faithful. Do you ever show up for life group? I just want to try and hit home with this point. Or maybe you've got friends or family that you meet with regularly, and and you know there's going to be deep conversation. You talk about life and faith and God. And you just know they're going to ask those questions. Pastor Bruce Steves at People's Church uh, my youth pastor back in the day, one of, one of the great youth pastors who was a mentor in my life and still is, great guy. He had a knack for asking those questions. And I knew when I was going to spend time with Bruce, he was going to ask one of those questions. I remember coming home from Bible school and one of his questions, one of the first words off his lips was, so what are you reading in the Bible lately? And I remember fumbling with my answer and trying to figure out what's going to sound good, I guess. Do you ever do that? Like you're coming to life group or you're coming into a conversation with somebody like that who's going to ask the tough question. so I better flip through my Bible here. Better do my devotions today. I better donate something because I know they're going to ask me about my generosity, so... You know, at Superstore, when it says, "Would you donate two dollars to the IWK Foundation?" Yeah, I'm going to make sure I do that. I'll keep the receipt so I can show them. Maybe they'll ask, "Who have you invited to church lately?" Well, I better go have a conversation with somebody about church so that I have a name of somebody that I can give to them in case they ask. Do you ever do that? Do you ever like try and throw the smoke and mirrors up there and make like a little magic show and then appear with your mask so that nobody catches who you truly are on the inside? I have to admit, I catch myself doing that. Yeah, I do. There are conversations where I feel like there's a right answer. Do you ever know the right answer, but... I'm trying to figure out how far to go with this. Ladies... Maybe maybe this is what you need to hear right here. Maybe a quality you find in men is mystery. A real man of mystery. Oh, he's so mysterious. Right? And just that aloof, distant kind of what's beyond the layers and you just need to figure it out and uncover. Let me tell you that mystery quality that drew you to them is probably going to be the quality that drives you away from them. Because if you don't know who they really are, if you spend your whole time trying to figure out who somebody is, you can almost be sure that they've got masks up. They've got layers up. They've got that whole smoke and mirror show going on. And what drew you to them, that mystery, is going to drive you nuts because you can't figure out what they're thinking. They never speak their mind. You don't really know who they are. Do you have any relationships like that? You feel like people are just constantly telling you what you want to hear? Instead of what they truly think? Daniel was transparent. What you see is what you got. And what people saw was an excellent spirit. Everybody saw it. Everybody noticed it. Even his enemies noticed that there was an excellent spirit found in Daniel. The only way they are going to trap him was in his faithfulness to his God. What a testimony. What do people see when they look at me? And trust me, the world's looking. They want to see if we truly believe what we say we believe. They want to know if we are for real about this whole Jesus thing. They want to know if we're really going to stand on this foundation or if this is just something we're adding to our life. There's no greater stage than struggle. There's no greater testimony than the trial. When that piece of pottery is put under the fire, when it's held up under the light and the sun shines through, that's when people see who you truly are. Daniel's tossed in a den of lions. Throw them to the lions. Have you ever heard that expression? Let's see what they're made of. Let's see what's going to happen here. Throw them to the lions. Who are you when you're held up to the fire, when you're tossed to the lions? When things get frustrating, when you're tired, when life is stressful, when the kid's in the back seat, I'm going to pull over. <laughs> you know, King Darius can't figure out how to overcome his own law. So he has to send Daniel to the lion's den because he can't find a way around his own law. He's compromising his values because he's got to hold on, I don't know, his reputation? What? Daniel chapter 6 and verse 19. Let's see what happens. Then at break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, it sounds like he's still some distance away and he's crying out from a distance. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the den of lions? Is God able? What a question. Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because, and get this, he had trusted in his God. Salvation is always by faith, isn't it? Daniel's entire life was built from trust. In his God. That was his foundation. That was his resolve. And just as God sent the angel. To save Daniel in the pit. God sent his only son. To save us. From our pit of death. I love how the angel shut the lion's mouths, Because the lions. Are a symbol of pride. They're a symbol of King Nebuchadnezzar. They're a symbol of the goddess Ishtar. With her seductress words. It's a symbol and picture of the devil. You look in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, I think that day the devil had his eye on Daniel and he wanted to devour Daniel like a roaring lion. God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions and someday God is going to forever silence the lies of the enemy. His mouth will be shut, there will be no more to say. By faith, Daniel was saved, and by faith, we are saved. Just as the integrity of Daniel was put on display, so the scheming wickedness of the officials was exposed and put on display. Look at what happens. Verse 24. The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives seem a little harsh. The punishment of sin is harsh. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. You know what I find interesting? It doesn't say anything about their bite doesn't say anything about their teeth. It says it broke their bones. You know, the mouth of the lion isn't the only weapon of the lion. With one swipe of their paw, they can break your face. They have these claws. They have muscle. But God specifically chose to close the mouth of the lion. I think that's a picture of the devil and his lies. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Sound familiar? Nebuchadnezzar's decree and edict last week. Verse 26, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This isn't really a story about Daniel, is it? It's not really a story about the officials or Darius or even the lions. It's a story about God and his rescue mission for mankind. You know, what King Darius wasn't able to do or wasn't willing to do, God did. Darius wanted to save Daniel but didn't know how to be a righteous king upholding the law, and at the same time a merciful and gracious king to Daniel. But God did, didn't he? God upheld his own law, that we must be holy as he is holy, and that sin will never be in his presence. He upheld his law, and at the same time he showed grace and mercy to us, Because he took our place, didn't he? I wonder if King Darius could have found a loophole in the law by taking Daniel's place. God sent his son to take our place. God sent his angel into the pit to rescue Daniel out of the pit. God sent his son into the grave, the tomb, where the stone was rolled and the seal was placed. And three days later, Jesus rose from the tomb to conquer death and sin and hell and that lion that is the devil. And today, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can have that same abundant life. I don't know what your den of lions looks like today. But you can guarantee that each one of us is going to be held up to the light. Each one of us is going to be tried so as by fire. Each one of us, our sin is going to find us out. Because what's on the inside always makes its way out. And people often figure out who you truly are. So whatever you have yourself trapped inside of today, the bondage of sin, the den of lions, God is the only righteous king who can free you from your bondage of sin today. And it's only through Jesus Christ. That's what the story of Daniel in the lion's den is about. Let's finish in prayer this morning. God, I want to thank you so much for who you are for what you've done for us. Thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices, that you don't allow us to remain in that pit forever. But God, you sent a rescuer, Jesus Christ, and he willingly entered that pit. He willingly took the bite of the lion for us. And he died on the cross of Calvary in our place. God, we thank you that through his substitutionary sacrifice that we can have the forgiveness of sin and new life and we can be freed from that den of lions, from the the grip of sin, from the grave and from hell. God, we thank you so much for who you are today. We thank you for your message of peace. We thank you for Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, we thank you so much that Jesus came. Thank you for what you've done for us, God. Thank you for your righteousness, your grace and love and mercy. We just want to praise you this morning, Father. If there are any here this morning who have not made the decision to trust you as their Savior, then, Father, I pray you'd make that clear to them today. God, I pray that we would be people of integrity, that we would have strong moral character, that we would consistently be faithful to you, and we would be transparent and open about who we are, that we would be authentic to who we are in Christ. God, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.